Don't let your Grinch steal Christmas. And we started just by way of introduction last week telling you how many of us older folk grew up. In fact, it originally debuted in 1966. I remember when the original debut took place of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It was from a Dr. Zeus book. And uh, we showed you some clips last week out of that uh, original cartoon rendition. Since that time, Jim Carrey did his Grinch as well. And so many people of a younger generation have, have met the Grinch. But uh, I just used the Grinch as sort of a working illustration of how you and I have a Grinch inside of us. And that Grinch is what the Bible calls, and I believe I put it on the screen overhead, it's your carnal nature. There's this thing that you got from your granddad, Adam, that we call a, a, a bent to sin, that's the technical term to it. But we all have it, our carnal nature, our flesh. And uh, we just use the Grinch in order to hopefully uh, sear into your memory and sear into your heart what it is that you were born with as we learn how to deal with that and what it means to overcome it. Now, there were many of you who were traveling over the Thanksgiving holiday and who did not get to see the debut of the Grinch last Sunday. And so you didn't get to hear the theme song. I call it the theme song for the flesh. So what we're going to do is I, I want to make sure everybody gets an opportunity to uh, meet what lies inside of each one of us, and that's the Grinch. So let's welcome Mr. Grinch this morning. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole Your brain is full of spiders You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch I wouldn't touch you with a Thirty-nine and a half foot pole You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch you have termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch. Given the choice between the two of you, I'd take the seasick crocodile. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote, Stink, stank, stunk. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful sots. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. 
Your soul is an appalling dump heap, overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up in tangled up knots. You nauseate me, Mr. Grinch, with a nauseous super nos. You're a crooked, jerky jockey, and you drive a crooked horse, Mr. Grinch. You're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. All right. I always enjoy seeing Mr. Grinch come out. Last week's lesson we entitled, Getting to Know Your Inner Grinch. And we talked about, again on the screen overhead, is that your flesh equals selfishness. If we were to reduce the carnal nature or to reduce the concept of the flesh down to its irreducible residue, it would be described as selfishness or self-centeredness. And it does not matter whether these are great acts of selfishness or whether these are just small incidental acts of selfishness, it is all derived from the same place. It's derived from your carnal nature. And we talked about last week how you can't be delivered from your carnal nature. Wouldn't it be great if someone could come along, lay hands on you, and just declare you to be free from your carnal nature? That's, that's been a lot of our problem. We blame the devil on things that he has nothing to do with. It has everything to do with our carnal nature. And so we wonder why we can't get delivered from it. And truth of the matter is, you may have been delivered from the power of the enemy, but you've still got that old nature inside of you working. But the good news is that Jesus did not leave us helpless with regards to the flesh. The flesh can be overcome, and it's overcome through what the Bible calls brokenness. Brokenness. We might call brokenness being yielded. The Bible also uses the term consecration. You must become broken. And so we've been talking about this because I've just found through the years that as much as the devil can cause us lots of problems, I've found that for many people, it's their nature, their carnal nature that's causing them as many problems as the enemy is. And so we're going to read from a Christmas account this morning. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and find Luke's Gospel. I'm going to be reading out of chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26 again. They will be familiar words to most of you since it comes from the Christmas account. Luke 1, 26, and this morning I want to talk what I've entitled, God will expose your inner Grinch. God will expose, now that you've gotten to know it last week, he's going to expose your inner Grinch. Now let me read to you these familiar words. It says in Luke 1, 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive a son in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall be called Jesus. He will be great 
He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now listen to this, verse 36, important. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. God will expose your inner Grinch. Now, I've read to you just a really brief passage in the Christmas story that begin to talk to us about two pregnancies that have a lot of similarities. There's this angel that initially shows up. I did not read to you earlier in the chapter, but there was an angel that showed up in the temple and reveals himself to a guy by the name of Zacharias. Zacharias is married to Elizabeth. They are older in their years. In fact, it is all, all probable that they were in their senior years. And the angel Gabriel shows up to them with them and says to Zacharias that you two are going to have a child together. Now, we'll come back to that, but just remember that. It will sound like another familiar story that all of us have read in the Old Testament. But then an angel shows up to this young person, Mary shows up six months later and tells Mary that she too is going to have a baby and uses what took place in Zechariah's and Elizabeth's life in order to underscore that God is at work here. Now, both pregnancies, Zechariah's and Elizabeth, as well as Mary's, are unusual. They are going to have to happen supernaturally. Zechariah's and Elizabeth are out of their childbearing years. They Our two older folks, the biological clock has stopped, it's no longer ticking, this thing isn't going to happen. And Mary is one who isn't married, she's relatively young for something like this to happen, even accidentally. And so here are two opposite ends of the biological or age spectrum. And yet both of these people are facing a challenging, and pardon the pun, a stretching situation. Now, truth be told, you could make a case if you wanted to, that there probably are better times than others to start having kids. I mean, there's never going to be a perfect time. If you're waiting for a perfect time, that isn't going to happen. But you could make an argument that there might be a better time than another time to start having children. And just about everyone, I think, could agree that the two scenarios that we have in front of us are probably not optimum childbearing moments. The one glaring dissimilarity about these two accounts is how these two budding families choose to respond to the report of the angel. Zechariah, who initially gets the report of the angel, begins to speak doubt. He begins to speak unbelief. Despite the fact that he's a priest, he knows the Old Testament, and he understands that there was a time in the Old Testament where two folks by the name of Abraham and Sarah, who are in exactly the same situation when God spoke to them concerning Isaac, and 
they being in their older years, gave forth of a son, despite having a biblical reason to believe, Zechariah said, I just don't know about this. And so the angel, interestingly, strikes Zechariah at that moment mute. In other words, he could not speak. Interesting, isn't it? Then there's Mary, on the other hand, who when she receives the news, she begins to say these words, let it be done unto me according to your word. If I were to read on, there's a, there's a wonderful song that's, that's written in there that Mary begins to rejoice. She, she says that her soul begins to magnify. Her mind, her will, her emotions begin to magnify the Lord her God. The Bible says out of this psalm that, that she begins to rejoice in her spirit. She begins to see the plan of God at work. However fuzzy it might be at the moment, she begins to see God's hand at work here, and she receives it or she accepts it. Now, I started to think about that, and I started to just ask why. Why was it that Mary perhaps had a, had a, a better disposition to receive what God was wanting to do than perhaps Zacharias did? And I, I think I can say this generally, that, that usually a younger generation is more easily selfless than an older one. Now, there are reasons for this. I know some will say, I don't know about that. I mean, I've grown up with some pretty selfish kids. But, but you think about it. Our, our selfishness doesn't change. As we get older, it just gets refined. You know, when you're young, you just don't know enough not to be just out there. But when you're older, you're, you're just, you've got a little more finesse to it. And I thought to myself, you know, a younger generation at times can do some more easily done selfless things. I, I, I think partly because they don't have all that much to lose. I mean, when we get older, we accrue houses and properties and cars and all the things that we accrue as we get older. And, and to somehow be challenged with all the things that we've accrued causes us to take a step back and kind of keep our arms around it for a while. But when all you've got is a Wii or a Nintendo... I mean, that sometimes doesn't take a lot to let go of. And it's interesting, you never see a 50-year-old sign up for the Peace Corps, do you? You see these, you know, high school graduates, you see college graduates that will sign up to go to other places and live on menial uh, 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 funds and all sorts of things. So I think, I think that's probably part of the equation. Personally, I can identify with this story to a degree. Most of you have heard the story of uh, being prophesied over years ago. Uh, Tracy went to a woman's event, and there was a woman there that was a prophetess, and she prophesied to Tracy concerning what would eventually become the birth of my daughter, Talyn. Now, you, you've got to understand that, that when she received that prophecy, and she has a, a neat, funny story that she tells from her perspective, but you've got to understand that, that she knew that when she received that prophecy, that when she came back to tell me about it, that there was going to be a, a, a lot more at stake here than just rah-rah, another baby in the house. She knew, she knew. In fact, I don't even know that we'd ever talked about it before, but she knew intuitively that when she were to share that information with me, that uh, that might not go over so well. I know all the women at the ladies' events were hooting and hollering and cheering, but she knew there might not be hooting and hollering and cheering take place when she came home with that report. How many of you know that a new baby will unveil your level of selfishness? 
Oh, absolutely, because when a new baby comes into the house, everything turns its attention to that baby. I mean, everything is put on hold. Your sleep is put on hold. Your eating schedules are put on hold. Everything is put on hold when that baby shows up. I mean, you cannot be a selfish person when you've got a new baby in your house. And so... So I, I think she probably intuitively knew that there were some issues of self in me that were going to have to be dealt with. And, and I can tell you how my mind was working at the time. I thought to myself, hey, I got two already. I, I stood in the two line. Life for me was beginning to settle down. There, there what is eight years difference between Tyler and, and, and Kaylin. So life for me was beginning to settle down. I mean, we were out of the, you know, get up in the middle of the night stage, and we were, we were as if I got up in the middle of the night. I mean, you know, have you ever heard guys, yeah, we finally got out of the get up in the middle of the night stage. You haven't been up in the middle of the night for years. Anyway, so, so we were, life was settling down. I could go out to eat and really eat. You could sit at a table without having to get up four or five times and go to the restroom for various reasons. You got to understand, I had, I had reasons that two was good. The national average is 1.7. I was asking, are you sure this woman is even a prophetess? We don't really know if she really hears from God. Come on, you know how it is. You, I know how some of your budgets, just like my budget, we had to budget. I don't know what diapers cost. Back in my day, they were 10 bucks. And, and you know what was funny? We, we thought we were going to use one of those diaper services because we were going to save money, you know, get a diaper service and, or, or wash the diapers yourself. Have you ever, I know some of you did. You put cloth diapers on your children. I'm here to tell you that was a test from God to send cloth diapers to a give me Give me pampers any day of the week, man. Put a little plastic around those legs. But you got your diapers. And then you got your food because they don't eat your food. They've got to eat good food. So you've got that. You've got doctors because they go to a hospital because they don't get sick from 9 to 5. They get sick at 2 o'clock in the morning. So you've got doctor's costs and emergency room and hospitals. Oh, and let's not forget clothes because they can't wear clothes for a couple years. No, they, if they're lucky for a couple weeks. To be in the same clothes. And we won't even go down the shoe route. My children, my children were born blessed with extra wide feet. So we couldn't get our shoes at Walmart. No, 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 no. We got our shoes at Stride Right. You had to go to Stride Right to get our shoes. And their shoes cost more than my shoes. Oh, we're not done yet. You see, because I got reasons. I mean, what about Christmas? It's obscene what happens at Christmas. And it only gets worse as they get older. There's something, you know, when they get older, their gifts start getting more expensive. But they still expect as many under the tree. We had to fix that. And then they get older, and then you're talking about a car, and then you're talking about gasoline in the car, and then you're talking about insuring the car. Oh, and let's not forget about going to sports camps, and ski invasions, and athletic fees, and 
equipment costs and now cell phones and unlimited texting and college and on and on and on and on and yeah now you're getting you, you and God says have another one have another one <laughs> watch what's coming up on the screen right now here's the key God is going to use something in your life and something in your circumstances to expose your inner Grinch you may not think you have a button yet But God will find it. He will put you in a situation to unveil your nature. And He wants to unveil your nature in order that you can begin to see your selfishness. I will assure you that God does not need to know whether you're selfish or not. It isn't about Him getting a clue. It's about you getting a clue. You're the one that needs to see it. Because you can't be delivered from it. You must choose. To enter into yieldedness and brokenness. God can sit up in His in His lofty place and look down upon humanity. And He will not sovereignly release us from being selfish. We must choose, if we want to enter into the will of God, whether or not we will let Him begin to deal with our inner nature. Now, I want to share with you some things that God will use to expose this inner Grinch. I was looking at the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary, and I I have taught on all these characters in the past. But there are a couple things I just want to throw out about things that maybe you've not thought about that God will use to expose what's going on inside of you. I think it will speak to us. Number one, there are times that the Lord will challenge you with the unreasonable. Sometimes, somehow, some way, it's not always through a prophetic word. I mean, that's a fairly dramatic way to get it. But sometimes it's just through circumstances, through ordinary everyday events, through interacting with other human beings, that God will challenge you with the unreasonable. When Zacharias heard that that God was going to bring forth what would eventually become John the Baptist, and he, he began to say, well, how can this be? You know, I'm old. And he goes through the whole thing. All he could see was the biology of it. That's all he could see. Hey, biologically, this just doesn't work. You don't get it, God. Biology isn't at play here. Can we just stop for a minute and call a timeout and say that I don't know much of anything that really can stop God when he wants to do something. And and your biology isn't going to stop God. And he can call life into the dead. He can create whatever he wants to create. And he can do pretty much whatever he wants to do. So Zechariah sees the biology of it. Mary says to herself, well, you know, I I don't have a husband. Usually, you would think, when you have kids, that there's a husband in the scene. So, there was an unreasonableness to all of this. This stuff didn't make sense. I want you to stop for just a moment and begin to think through how many times the Lord has asked people in the Bible to do something that didn't make sense. You could go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you could read through the faith chapter. It's a long chapter with so many people used as illustrations in there that it would would be way too long to even begin to note it. But you just go read it sometime and you'll begin to see that there are all these people that the Lord says moved by faith, supernatural things took place, but they had to do something that maybe didn't seem reasonable at the moment. 
It was unreasonable. Think about it. Jesus shows up on the scene and the first thing he does as his ministry begins to unfold is he begins to look at people and he begins to challenge their sense of reason. Think about this. He looks at guys who are commercial fishermen, businessmen, and what does he say? Drop your nets. What? Makes for a great story, doesn't it? It's hard to live. See, we read those stories and we smile and go, wow, what a great story. Think about that. Quit your job. Whoa, 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 whoa. I like to eat. I got bills. My family's counting on me. That doesn't seem real reasonable, does it? And yet God will use at times unreasonable things in order to begin to challenge exactly where you are and where you are at. Everything in your mind will suddenly trip. And you'll go, this doesn't make sense. Well, I'm not saying that God always does things that doesn't make sense, but I can show you a multitude of times He does exactly that. In order that when He brings something to pass, you aren't dancing around thinking it was you being, one more time, self-centered. You understand? So He'll call you to do things that seem unreasonable. Number two, the Lord will lead you in order to expose the inner nature into the uncomfortable not just the unreasonable, but what about the uncomfortable? I mean, Zacharias was a busy, busy, busy priest. This priesthood stuff is busy. Certainly, I'm, hey, I'm serving you, God. Certainly you wouldn't ask me, who serves you, to do something that would be uncomfortable. I'm busy. Busy for you. Oh, really? Zacharias was a busy, busy priest. Mary, I'm sure, was a Busy, busy teenager. It doesn't fit into our schedule. It doesn't fit into our timing. How many of you know we've all got a timing? Sure you do. You, you may never have written it down, but all of you in this room have a... Some of you got a one-day plan. You know exactly what you're going to do tomorrow. Some of you got a one-week plan. Some of you a one-month plan. Some of you have a one-year, three-year, five-year, maybe even a ten-year plan. I don't know. But, but God suddenly swoops in and He's crowds us with regards to our timing. We say to ourselves, this is what we say, it's just not the time. It's really interesting how whenever we're getting crowded, it's never God's timing. We can be selfish and rebellious and we'll just change the phrase. I mean, we'll just be stiff-necked and rebellious and we'll call it prudence. I'm just being prudent. I mean, we'll just, we'll just be selfish as can be and we'll just say to ourselves, oh, I just, it's just not time. Well, when will it be time? You see, God uses uncomfortable things to crowd our comfort zones to begin to unveil inner realities. I always like using the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is a great story because here's a young man, wealthy, the Bible says, and, and let me just make this point. God is not against wealthy. Isn't that good news? I think that's great news. I mean, God's not against you prospering. How else would his kingdom be financed here on earth had it not come through people's hands? So he wants to prosper people's hands. So let's just get that out there right away. God has no problem with prosperity. In fact, given the choice, I'd much rather be prosperous than poor. Amen. All right, now I, I won't take you through all those verses. So, so here's a young man, a rich young ruler. Obviously, the Bible says that he's a religious guy because he says to Jesus, and he doesn't contend with the young man at this point, he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, keep the law or something to that effect. And he says, I've done all of that. 
I've done everything I know to do. And so he's thinking, get this, at that moment, hey man, life's good, life's cool. But his problem was that his money, now hear me, the Bible doesn't say money is evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. You see the difference? Having money isn't going to do anything to you. Loving it is a different story. So, so here's this rich young ruler, and his problem had become that his money was his comfort zone. That was his comfort zone. And all of a sudden, Jesus has this unique ability. I mean, it's almost as if he just, he just gets his thrills at zeroing in on what he knows will push our button. Because right now, nobody may know what your button is, but God knows what your button is. And right now, i just tell you right now, I'll give you a word from the Lord. I am finding, saith the Lord, your button. Just get ready. You want, because all of us, if I were to say, do you want, do you want something miraculous to happen in your life? Do you want something supernatural and dramatic to take place in your life? And oh, yeah, yeah, our group, man, we'd be up and go, yeah, man, lay it on me. All right, thus saith the Lord, I'm going to find the button. And here's the best news I can give you. Let him find it quick. Get it over with quick. Here's your choice. This is what I always say. In the kingdom of God, when it comes to dying to the flesh, you got two choices. You can die quick or die lingering. Choose the quick way. Get it over with. Just yield to the Lord. But here, we've got to get back to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler's got this issue. His, his, his money had become his comfort zone. And Jesus challenges his comfort zone. Now, I've heard people preach this at times, talking about how God wants to give. He's just talking to us all about giving it all away. Can I just share this? Why would God call everybody to give it all away and just cause us all to be impoverished? Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. So my feeling is this. God isn't zeroing in by way of a general precept that he's looking at us all and just saying, everybody empty your accounts. I don't believe that to be true. But I'll tell you what I do believe to be true. He's going to find what it is that you have defined, whether you understand it or not, your particular trust zone, your comfort zone. And he's going to zero in on that thing, and he's going to ask you to do something radical with it. And at that moment that that radical nudge comes to you, that radical word comes to you, it will begin to reveal something inside of you. Because what did the Bible say? The Bible said that when the rich young ruler heard this, he dropped his head and he walked away, for he was a man of great means. Tells me something. And it, no, it tells me something else is that he didn't ask that young man to do anything more than he didn't ask those businessmen who were commercial fishermen to do. Jesus won't ask of you anything more than he's asked of me or anyone else. He's, he's an equal opportunity challenger. I mean, he will come to you. It may be different. He may challenge you in a totally different area. But I guarantee you, as significant as my button is in my life and yours is in your life, he's going to find the number one button. And he's going to push it. The Lord will find it. Number three. How will God expose that inner nature? The Lord will allow you to face the impossible. Sometimes you just find yourself in an impossible situation. Here we have again, Zacharias, Mary. This is an impossible situation. How can you have a baby? If you're Mary, how can you have a baby? Think about this. She was a righteous woman. How can you have a baby? I'm not to be indelicate, but how do you have a baby and not have sex? How can I have a baby? I'm not, not just that I'm not married, but, I, but I, I, how do you have a baby and not 
be physically intimate with a man. It's just, it's, it, that's impossible. Zechariah said ostensibly the same thing. He said, how can a physically impotent body, how can someone whose body is dead in this area, and my wife Elizabeth, you know, she's not a spring chicken anymore either. I mean, I, I mean how can this happen? It is impossible. God will bring you to impossible moments to find out whether or not you're going to believe things just because it makes sense, just because it's comfortable, just because it fits on the end of a ledger, just because the doctors say it so, just because science has decreed it to be so, just because the news said it to be so, just because the markets say it so. God is going to put us in impossible situations in order to reveal to us where our nature truly is. You know what was really encouraging to me this year? I'll just say it again. When we did all those boxes, you remember all those Operation Christmas Child boxes? You know, last year we just didn't hit our goals in that area, and that just bugged me. And then this year, I told you, man, we, we were going after it. Because of all the things we do in church life, I, and I believe a lot of what we do is selfless, but this was probably as selfless as it gets. Not a dime of money stays around here. Not one of those boxes stay in America. All of that is a totally selfless thing. And I remember visiting with Trace and I said, you know, as a church, we need to hit the 200 box mark. That's just the bottom line. We just need to do it. We need to do an act of selflessness. And there was a part of me that really wondered whether or not we could, we could even begin to do that. But to your credit and to God's glory, we hit that particular goal. Do you understand that there are going to be moments in our lives as individuals, and moments in our lives as a people together. That God is going to call us to do things that look impossible. I mean, we're in a struggling economy, that's what we're told right now. And the truth of the matter is that here we are in a struggling economy, and you're trying to find a way to be resourced when banks are as tight as Dick's hat band. I mean... I mean, banks are always conservative, but I'm here to tell you they are hyper-conservative right now. Struggling economy, which what that means is, is that there are people who are losing their job, their job hours have been cut back, things aren't operating like they were just a few years ago. We hear it all the time, all the time, it's not a good time to do this, it's not a good time to do that. But God puts us in impossible situations. And when we're in those impossible situations, it is at that moment something gets revealed about who we are. It's at that moment when we say, I'm looking at everything and I don't know that I can do a thing. It's at that moment, come on, I'm not putting any guilt trip on you. I'm just saying, let God reveal something about you. Let Him do that. If you're in an impossible situation and things start coming out of you, stop for just a moment and say, what's God revealing at this particular moment? He does that to all of us in order that we can begin to see the nature inside of us. And then number four, the Lord will take something away or he will allow a loss to take place in our life in order to expose our inner Grinch. This is probably the most difficult one of all. I'm going to just hover here for a minute. For most people, they will navigate their way through these first three somehow, some way, but this this fourth one is the one, unfortunately, that God usually brings most people to, to get them to see what's going on inside of them. I, I mean, I wish, I really wish, as a people, 
that, that we could hear instruction and that instruction would instantly cause us to latch hold of it and obey. Now, teaching is important because sometimes teaching does reveal. But, but I'm just here to say that after preaching the gospel now, I've been preaching the gospel for 30 years. I've been a pastor since I was 24 years old. I'm now 49. Long time, huh? I have looked at people come across the altars of a church. I've seen people come into my office, sit in front of me at a desk, receive counsel, want prayer. And I can tell you almost across the board that for most folks, now I I, I hope that's not been you and I don't want it to be you. But for most folks, it appears to me that before we ever deal with the self-issue, it takes losing something. It usually takes losing something very, very meaningful. For Zacharias, it's interesting because when he began to spout his mouth off concerning the impossibilities and the uncomfortabilities and the unreasonableness of this all, I already told you, the angel said that I'm just going to zip your lip for nine months. The Bible says he, he, he was literally struck mute for nine months. Isn't that amazing? God took away his voice for nine months. In fact, he didn't get his voice back until John was born. And at the moment John was born, the moment John came out of Elizabeth's womb, at that moment, Zechariah's mouth was unzipped. And to his credit, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, praise God. (laughs) You know what's interesting about that? You lose something for a while, and then you finally get your breakthrough. It's amazing how praise God will finally come out of your mouth. Now, I'll tell you this. The reason God shut his mouth down was because, hear me, there's, there's death and life in the power of the tongue. And God knew that if he allowed Zacharias to keep chirping his words out for the next nine months, listen to me, even though that God could bring forth a miracle supernaturally in Elizabeth and his body, God knew that if he kept Zacharias talking, Zacharias would literally curse that baby out of existence by the words of his mouth. I believe that with all of my heart. The Lord said, I've got to bring John the Baptist forth. Now, he's a guy, and he's probably going to want to get intimate eventually, so that's probably pretty much settled. But if I keep him with his mouth open, we've got problems here. So we're just going to zip his lip. And then he can't say any negative confession. He can't say something outlandish. He can't keep speaking the impossible. But I'll just shut him up. Sometimes God will just close you off to everything just to keep you quiet. In order that he can literally bring to pass a miracle. Now, now for Mary, Mary had to, listen to this, lose, think about this, her reputation. I mean, there's some debate over how old Mary was when... All this happened to her. Most people think she probably was around the age of 14. My daughter Kaylin is 13. I just, I'm just looking at you, man. That ain't going to fly in my house. Uh-uh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 14-year-old, pregnant, not married, walking down the road. Neighbors gigging each other, going, look at Mary. She's starting to show. <laughs> yeah, she said she was overshadowed by the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that overshadowing. You know how people talk, how people are. She had to lose her reputation. I mean, 14 is not the usually considered 
spiritually mature moment in a neighborhood when this happened. I mean, think about people. I mean, here's Mary being mature, and everybody else is thinking she's probably lost her mind. She lost her reputation. You probably heard the old phrase, you didn't know what you had until you lost it. You didn't know what you had until you lost it. The reason that is a phrase that so many people know is because it synopsizes a person who has taken for granted something that they no longer have. And can I just share with you, oftentimes when someone will say, I never knew what I had until I lost it, a lot of times at that moment it can be a revelation of how they were consumed with themselves. Some of you in this room this morning know firsthand the pain of losing something of value. Now that pain might be different. Some of you have experienced the pain of lost relationships. Some of you have experienced the pain of lost a job or career. I don't know what the loss might be, but you know the pain of that. The pain isn't, the pain isn't fun. The pain isn't, the pain isn't something you like, but, but the pain can be the wake-up call if you let it be. If it was a painful experience, but it awakened you to any self-centered nature you've got, then embrace it. Embrace it as God's merciful moment in your life to help you to get it. I've often said, don't waste your pain. If you're living pain, then at least let it be your teacher. So you'll receive it and embrace it and say, God, I can't change. Do you understand right now that you can spend your life wishing all the people around you would quit painting you, but you'll never stop that. You can't stop anyone else, but you can look at God and say, God, whatever pain needs to come my way, I'll embrace it in order that I will get it. Because I can change me. God is trying to get our nation's attention. I mean, are are we... You know what this means, don't you, when pastor does this? What does it mean? What does it mean? America right now is under God's microscope. There was a day that we could be called a selfless and sacrificial nation. I'm going to be honest with you. Who am I to be a judge over a nation? But I can tell you this, I'm not sure that's true anymore. The reason I can say that is because we value the economy over morality. We capitulate to every special interest perversion there is. We will sit there and yield to every craziness there is in the culture. We are a society full of victims. We are all, societally speaking, we're just victims waiting for a reason to go sue somebody so our ship can come in. We think we're entitled to have whatever we want, when we want it, and somehow or another it needs to get to me. And God has caused pain to come to our nation in order that we would wake up. And if you don't think He caused it, then I'll just say it this way. He allows it then. We have terrorism. Terrorism which has caused us to lose our freedoms. How much freedom will you have to lose as a nation before we awaken to what it is that God is doing? We have faced economic slowdown, which has caused us to lose our security. 401ks have dried up. We have faced war in foreign lands, which has caused us to to lose so many young men and women of the next generation. 
Let me tell you that God has no problem allowing us as much loss as we can stand. It it all boils down to this. He will let your pain level get to the place where you'll finally have a cry out level. Oh God, I am ready to turn to you. Now what happens at that particular moment? What causes us to awaken at that particular moment? I just put one word on the screen. Revelation. I'm not talking about the book of. Revelation. Revelation means an unveiling. There's a difference between getting information and getting revelation. You can get information about something and you have what I would call just sort of a, an encyclopedic or dictionary type uh, happening inside of you. It's like your computer. Your computer can get information and all it does is it sits in the computer. Revelation is when you get things that may be information, but all of a sudden it ignites. It ignites. And, and it produces some form of awakening or quickening. That's what I call connecting the dots. That's what I call the light bulb coming on. You know, have you ever seen the old cartoon where the and the light bulb comes on? That's revelation. I was watching this week on television the sentence of O.J. Simpson. Some have called it karma. I don't believe in karma. But I do believe the Bible talks about what a man sows. Sure. It may take 14, 15 years. Some crops take a while. But they ran in the paper just sort of a timeline of events that took place in his life since the verdict in 1994. They just ran a timeline of all the events. I did not know that that man had been in as much trouble as he had been in, even through those years. And I watched it all. I saw the judge look at him and literally say these words. I'm quoting the judge who said, I wondered when this proceeding started, if you were arrogant or if you were ignorant. I have decided you are both. Man, he was dumped. And as I saw all that took place, a man who won a Heisman, who was a a Hollywood actor, had so many things that we would look to call success or glitz. And I wondered at that moment when they were taking him out in those chains, I wondered, I just started to say to myself, I wonder if he gets it yet. I wonder if he gets it. I wonder if the light has come on. I wonder if there's something inside of him that has finally gone, cha-ching. I get it. I understand. Or, or will he go the rest of his life, even to the grave, experiencing the pain now that he will experience and not get any of it? Well, perhaps your Grinch is not nearly as dramatic as that of O.J. Simpson. But I guess the question is, what's it going to take in us? What's it going to take in all of us? I'm going to ask the guys to douse the lights. I want to show you a clip from the Grinch. I'm going to use Jim Carrey's version. I just want to show you a quick little clip, and we're just about done. But I, but I think it'll just help you one more time, just put an image to the quickening or the awakening. Guys, if you're ready, go ahead and run the tape. Note to my symphony of downright nasty, not niceness. 
the crescendo of my odious efforts. Oh, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth, the bellowing of the bitterly bombed out. It'll be like music in my ears. Then the Grinch heard a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. Huh? Huh? But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sounded merry. But it was merry. Very. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. <laughs> He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. It's <laughs> the Grinch. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas. He thought. doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. What happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day.
ghosty inside. And I'm leaking. Oh, Matt. <laughs> I love ya! <laughs> Well, even the Grinch had the light come on, and he got it. The difference between Zacharias and Mary was the fact that Mary got it, and Zacharias didn't. It took Zacharias nine months of silence to finally get it. Mary got it right away when she said, let it be done unto me according to your word. And so the question will be for you, for all of us this morning, is this. Will will you be a Zacharias or will you be like a Mary? For me, I guess I was awakened to a lot of my selfishness. I'm not going to claim total eclipsing of all self-consumption. But I can say in all transparency I was awakened to a lot of my selfishness when after that prophetic word that I told you about Tracy conceived and we were about to have a baby and we lost that baby she bore I suspect the greatest sorrow as a woman I have no way of even comprehending what it must be like to have life inside of you and to experience the joy and all the other things that accompany that, and then suddenly for it to be gone. But internally, for me, while she probably experienced something far greater than I, for me, for various reasons, I believed it was my fault. I believe we lost that baby because it was my fault. It was because I capitulated and said yes, but I was a lot like Zacharias. I may not have said it loudly, but I was probably mumbling it. To be candid with you, I didn't want to be crowded. I didn't want my life to be, to be changed. I didn't, I didn't want to get up in the night. I didn't, I didn't want to go through all the things that I knew having a child would do to me and, and the lifestyle we were now beginning to enjoy. And I remember when she'd lost that first baby, in fact, we called that baby in order to kind of work through all of that, we called her Mariah. Mariah was the name of the mountain that Abraham walked Isaac up. And you know, sometimes you've got to lose something. You know, Abraham walked Isaac up and he was fully prepared to lose his promise. Because he said, he said that we're going up to the mountain. And he was confident that God would bring it back, but he was totally prepared Whatever you're going to do, Lord, I'm totally prepared for that. And so we called our lost baby Mariah because we felt like we'd lost a promise. And I felt it. I felt it to be my fault. I felt, I'm going to be honest with you, I felt it to be a judgment upon my sin. It was a repercussion of my selfishness and my self-centeredness. And while I wish I could go back and change all of that, the one good thing it did was it shook me out of some things. It took me losing something in order to shake me out of my nature. 
Now, I wasn't a totally nitwit of a dad with the boys. I'm sure I probably could have been a much better dad with the boys. But when God brought us Kaylin, and we went through all the things that we went through in order to see her come to pass, the miracles that literally had to take place for her to come to pass. In fact, we named uh, Kaylin, her middle name, Rama. It's the word. It literally means the thing which the Lord has said. So, so we went through all of that. And, and like I said, I'm not standing up here as the, the epitome of, of, of selflessness. I know that's not true. If we had Trace come up, she, she'd give a testimony and we'd bring that back to reality. But, but I can say this. I, I can say this. I think she would agree with me. There was something with Kaylin that changed. And uh, I can go through all the list of all the changes that were made. But the, the bottom line is this. Will you have to lose something? Come on now, listen to me. Will you have to lose something in order for you to get just how you are inside? It's really a good thing. Because you know what? After that moment, life became really easy, much easier. I don't know that I've ever begrudged a dime to my children. I don't think I've ever begrudged a dream. I don't think I've ever minded a single thing that I've ever done since that moment. Even if it, if it encroaches upon my life, I don't think from that moment on, I can honestly say before you, it hasn't bothered me like it would have before then. But the only way it happened is because I had to lose something. I understand that's not popular in our circles. I understand in our circles... We're always favored. We're always moving forward. We're always prospering. Listen to me right now. Paul said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. And do you understand that you can lose it all and just that quick God can give it all back if you get what it is He's trying to do? That's the word of the hour. Will you let Him expose it? Will you begin to deal with it? And then will you see the great repercussions, the good things that can come once you come out of it? I believe you will. Will you stand with me? Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. Holy Spirit, you are faithful and always have been in our midst. Spirit of God, there has never been a moment that you have not faithfully entered into this place and talked to your people and moved into regions of people's lives that I as a human being cannot reach. Lord, I can declare your word. I can share truth. I can help bring enlightenment to precept. But Lord, I can't get into the human heart. There is no physician that can open up a chest and get to the human heart where Lord, our spirit and our soul is. Lord, only you by your spirit can do that. And so, Holy Spirit, we need you right now. You're not something we wait for the middle of the week or hope folks figure out later. But Holy Spirit, we need you right now, up front and center, to begin to work in people's lives. Lord, there are folks here I know personally that have lost a lot. And I am grateful, Lord, that out of that loss, they could testify... And say, yeah, Pastor, I know exactly what you were talking about this morning. I've lost just about everything. But I'm glad to be able to say that I, I'm 
I, I may not have got it all, but I'm getting it. Lord, there are folks here today that I'm quite sure are facing painful moments. And Lord, it wasn't their fault, I'm sure. I'm sure that it could be an injustice or an unfairness. Something that was totally out of their control that precipitated this pain upon their life. And it's, and it's a gnawing pain. And Lord, all I can say at this moment is, I wish I could take it away, but Lord, would you somehow awaken them? That whose fault, their fault, no one's fault, to get out of the fault stuff for just a moment and say, Lord, what it is, what, what is it that you're trying to reveal in me? It's, it's about me. Lord, let them get that today. Don't let them lose this moment. Lord, I can stand here and say that I have lost things that I don't believe were my fault to lose. But Lord, I had to come to terms with what it is you were trying to reveal in me. Lord, you're no respecter of persons. It doesn't just happen to pastors and pastors' wives or pastors' families or leaders. It happens to everyone that's called a child of God. And it's not to hurt them. It's to help them. To help them break. To help them consecrate. To help them yield. To help them get rid of the selfish and get turned into selfless. Lord, I wish I could call a prayer line this morning. I wish I could just have people line up in front of me this morning and just lay my hands on them and just say, be free of your carnal nature. But it isn't going to work that way. Lord, there's got to be something that is turned in each individual that says that's what I want. I want to turn from myself and begin to be turned outwardly again so that I can love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, and I can begin to love my neighbor as myself. I can begin to pray for those that have persecuted me and harmed me. I can begin to bless those that despitefully use me. That I can begin to actually forgive 70 times 70. That I can begin to not just go one mile, but go the extra mile. That I don't just have to give them my shirt, but I can give them my cloak also. And it doesn't matter what I think I've lost in the deal. I can lose it all. But Lord, if I've got you, then I've got more than enough. And it's what it's all about. With every head bowed and every eye closed. We did this last week, and I don't know, I may do it every week, I don't know. But I'm going to give an invitation right now. And my invitation for you as you come isn't to come stand, but to come kneel. And if you'll come and kneel at the altars, the wells of the church, I'm going to pray a prayer that you can just link up with me and it's going to be a prayer of consecration of yielding, of submitting I can't, I, can't, I can't deliver you this isn't something I can do for you you must want this I believe for some of you God's been dealing with you all week long and here's your moment just me saying that right now inside of you you're saying did someone tell him that? yes, the Holy Spirit told me that See, people just slip out. and What your issues are probably aren't mine. And the one you're kneeling next to, it's probably not theirs, but it's yours. I really believe the hardest thing in the world isn't to say, 
isn't to say, well, you know, I'm full of the devil. That's not the hardest thing in the world. The hardest thing in the world is to say, I'm full of myself. I'm full of myself. I'm just full of myself. Sometimes we cloak it over with spiritual sounding stuff, but but you know when the Holy Spirit's talking to you, He's talking to folks. Isn't that cool? God is good, isn't He? And right now, as, as you folks are here, what He's doing is He's reached into your heart right now, and we're going to pray. And, and, and literally what's going to happen is He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna turn you almost like inside out. Remember what I said, what Luther said? Luther said that sin was man turned into himself. And if you're not turned into yourself, then you've got to be turned toward God. You've got to be turned outwardly toward your neighbor, toward those around you. doesn't mean, listen to me again, it doesn't mean that you're a doormat and people just get to walk all over you. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. There are moments you have a right to be able to stand and gently, righteously hold your ground. I'm not saying you have to yield to everybody's agenda. I am saying this, that you must yield to God's agenda. So one more time, if you're here and you're kneeling and in the congregation, I want everybody's voice to be praying with me because I I don't care if you've been walking with God for decades and you feel like you're all good this morning. Let me tell you, there's always areas and you need to link with these to pray. Everybody's praying with me right now. Just trust me and just join with me. Say, in the name of Jesus, I present myself a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is my reasonable spiritual service of worship I declare today I will no longer be bound to the patterns of this age but I present myself for the renewing of my mind to be transformed from staring at myself to now gazing at God. That I might know what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Lord, I consecrate myself. I yield to you. I confess my loss and count it as gone. It was worth losing it that I might gain all of you. Teach me, Holy Spirit, that this moment will never escape me and I will count this lesson as gold as I live all out for you. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Can you say, so be it and amen? So be it and amen. Listen, now I'm glad you came forward, and, and it takes a lot to step out and to move to the front of a church, and so I appreciate your courage, but listen to me right now. This, this, is, this is all theory until you walk out those doors. And then, some, then, and then that old selfish thing gets challenged. 
I'm glad for this moment in y'all's life. I, I, I rejoice with you. Don't want to minimize it. But here's the part. When you get up, this time get up and say, Lord, let me now get it. Let, 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 let me get it as I walk out those doors. Let me get it as I go to school. Let me get it as I go to work. Let me get it. And God will use you greatly. Amen? All right, y'all stand up now. Y'all stand up. Amen. Come on, now I know there are tears of breaking and tears of consecration and, and, and you're leaking. <laughs> like, like we, and that's, it's a good leaking. Amen. But then there's a place of joy. Do you understand when you're not having to carry the burden of yourself, it's actually kind of a good thing. Isn't that right? So we can give the Lord a great big hand, can't we? Get joy back in our life. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Father, now these are your people and they are in your fold. And now I ask, Lord, that as we go our separate ways this week, Lord, you would cause them to live all out for you. Lord, cause them to be light, cause them to be salt, cause them to be of influence, cause them, Lord, to press the claims of Christ wherever you have placed them in order that, Lord, we might be conduits of redemption for all that there is in the earth. Lord, I ask that you would bless them and assist them, cause us all as a people to be soft towards you as you lead us into our future. We ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, turn around and hug two, three people, shake some hands. We're going to put some music on, guys, go for it. God bless you. We'll see you hopefully in the middle of the week.